I better get rid of this wire before a trip. Uh, for every Sunday, we can get to worship Him. Uh, you know, I thank God also for the choir. I know Pastor Sheila is trying to uh, really bring back our choir, especially for more younger people. There's not just only the Chinese choir, but a QBC white choir. You know, I was in choir for more than a decade. And my favorite role, my specialty uh, is actually singing solo and then singing all the words wrong, but the meaning is correct. There was this one time I did that, and the whole choir was stunned and they broke out in laughter, you know. And then we had to restart, start Samula, start from the beginning. Uh, but for some reason, uh, that happened. So I uh, just want to encourage those of us who really uh, love to use this uh, area to serve the Lord, uh, to respond to Pastor Sheila. Um, you know, this year, our theme is on outreach. And so we preached on this whole theme about the love of God. We spent the first half of the year from uh, Genesis, uh, the whole book of Old Testament, we call it from creation to Christ, unfolding the greatest love story ever told. Okay, so that we are able to put the whole Bible together to understand why all these things happen, why God recorded all these things, to show us His love and redemptive plan. In July, our series on First John, book of First John is on God is love. If we want to experience the joy of the Lord and to overcome this world, the key is understanding God is love. Now, what does that mean? So John breaks it down for us. Uh, we saw it means to have this assurance of God's love, we walk in the light, to lead holy lives, walk in the new commandment, which is to love others just as how Christ loved us. Walk as children of God, then walk in God's love. Chapter 4 is the key to the whole book. Uh, it's a bit different from John 2. I'll leave the explanation next week to Pastor Leonard. And then walk in assurance. Okay, so today we are in chapter 3, walking as God's children. Let us pray. Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit to pour forth your love lavishly and abundantly into our hearts that we understand that we are your children and to lift out the identity that we'll see Christ lifted up as open your book, your word, and we'll see and you will be glorified. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a bunch of teenagers, they came before this beautiful lake. In the midst, there's this uh, really bright young girl. She took one look at the lake and dove in head first. And that changed her life. Because she didn't realize that the lake was very shallow. She broke her neck and became paralyzed. You know, she loved the outdoors. Her favorite activity was horse riding. But yet for the next two years, she could only lie in bed. And her daily activities like eating, changing, she had to depend on the people around her. So she went to depression. She struggled. She even begged her friends to empty a bottle of pills into her mouth. But you know, she struggled most of all was her faith. She said, God, you know, I, I mean, she grew up in a Christian family. She served faithfully. She says, God, why did you allow this to happen? Am I not your child? Friends, what does it mean to be a child of God? Does it mean that nothing bad will happen to us? Or if not, something bad happens, there's a safety net, you know, that the bottom won't fall out. A mega church pastor was exhorting this congregation to live out their identity as God's children. He says, God wants to bless you if only you believe. He wants to grant you the biggest house in the neighborhood. And then he shared his own testimony, how he desired that and God gave him. He said, I am living proof. Again, we ask this question, what does it mean to be a child of God? Does it mean God gives us everything we want? So today from 1 John 3, that is the question I'd like us to consider. How do we have this fullness of joy and to overcome the world? 
is to have this assurance of God's love by living holy lives, walking in the light, by loving others, which means when you say love is to love others and not love the world. And then to, thirdly is to walk as God's children. So today, First John 3, you will see firstly, who am I? Who am I? Secondly, two um, marks of a child of God. How do you know you're a child of God? Two marks. And finally, so what? Some assurances we have as a child of God. So let's turn our Bibles to 1 John 3. Who am I? And he answers right off the bat, I am a child of God. So how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we will be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. It says God lavishes love on us. How do we know? Because we are God's children, that's how God loved us. How? Because Christ died for us, that's God's lavish love. Such as we are, we are children of God. But the world doesn't know because they don't know Him. So, who are those who are called children of God? You know, sometimes there are people come and talk to me, say, Pastor, you know, as humans, right, we should love one another because we are all children of God. And then I just keep quiet and show them my black face. And after a few awkward moments, they go, we are all children of God. Haw? Haw your head, ah, haw. We are not all children of God, friends. We are all made in the image of God. We bear the image of God. We look similar. But sin has marred this image of God and that's why we need the gospel. That's why we need the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus to wash us. For example, you go to a nursery, okay? Now we're having a baby boom. There are a lot of cute children and they look like me. Two eyes, two nose. One year, is it? No lah. You know, yesterday when I preached, I really said wrongly. Today, I purposely say wrongly. See whether you're awake or not. No, they look like me, right? Two eyes, got nose. But are they my children? Of course not. Unless we're related by blood. Likewise, okay? We all bear the image of God, but we are not all God's children. Unless through the gospel, through the sacrifice and blood of Jesus, we are related to Him. So it says, the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know God. And this is God's lavish love. And what is love? This lady uh, called Lucy Calatini, uh, she is, her, her husband called Paul. Paul was a neurosurgeon. At age of 37, he died of cancer. And he recorded his whole journey and wrote a book. The book became New York Times bestseller, When Breath Becomes Air. Through this journey, he and his wife actually came to faith. Okay, and the epilogue of the book, meaning after he died, the wife who is now, uh, who was a professor at Stanford Medical School, she wrote, I expected to feel only empty and heartbroken after Paul died. It never occurred to me that I could love someone that way after he was gone. That I would continue to feel such love and gratitude alongside the terrible sorrow, the grief so heavy that at times I shiver and moan under the weight of it. She was saying, if love, what is love? This whole time we've been talking about love, but what is love? Is love just um, a chemical reaction, a side effect of a chemical reaction because of hormones? That's why you behave this way. If that's the case, then it's not very reliable, right? Because this week you may have this hormone, next week you may not have. And so she was describing this feeling. She says, it's just a chemical reaction. Why is it I feel so much now when it's not around? And through this journey, they became Christians. And so Paul himself said, he says, you know, science cannot explain uh, things that are not material. 
When we look at this world through the lenses of science, it can only explain material things, which means we are banishing God from this world. But when we banish God, we are also banishing all those things that make us human. Now, what does he mean? See, science can only break down a natural phenomena or a phenomena to manageable, reproducible, controllable parts. Smaller units that we can understand and observe. But it cannot explain things that are metaphysical, meaning immaterial things. Things that are most important to us like love, bravery, virtue, tears, that makes us human. Science cannot explain. And so it says if we banish God from our world, then we are banishing all these things that make us human. Between scientific theory and God and love, there is this gap. But Scripture tells us differently. Scripture says love is not just a chemical byproduct. It's not just how we feel because of our hormones. It is who God is. That's why, friends, when we hate one another, we are most like beasts. But when we love one another, we are most like God. Love is grounded in the character and personality of our Creator. And, because the, and we, we, we grieve because we love. But because love has a foundation in God, then when we grieve, we have hope in God. So God lavished His love on us. How do we know? Because we can be called His children. Since beloved, now we are children of God. We are, but He has not appeared as yet what we will be. Doesn't seem like it. What we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Since now, it may not seem like it, but when Christ comes again, it will be clear. Being a child of God doesn't mean God gives us everything we want, but He gives us His best. I mean, as, as when we look at our kids, right, we want to give the best things to them, but we won't give everything they want. And so this is, being a child of God doesn't mean that our lives will be smooth and no problems, but we know whatever God allows, He's there with us. There is a reason for it. We trust in His goodness and sovereignty. And so those, He says, we fix our hope in Him, purifies. How do you know you have this identity? How do you know you're a child of God? He says, well, live, purify yourself. Live in the light. So it goes back to verse 1. We see this concept, the great love of the Father and we are children. Do you understand what it means that God is your Father? Don grew up in the church. His parents were really strict with him. I mean, they had the best of intentions, wanted him to raise him uh, according to the word. But in reality, their, their relationship is very dysfunctional. There was a lot of brokenness. And he grew up never feeling like his parents were really pleased with him. He felt that their love was conditional. We love you, but. We love you when. We love you if. So eventually, as a young adult, he got depression. And to make things worse, to make himself feel better, you know, he got the relationship with the opposite sex. Did things that were wrong and it made him feel guilty and so it was double whammy. So eventually, he came to talk to the pastor and after counselling, he said, I realised that deep in my gut, I cannot believe that God loved me unconditionally. We may know it, but do we truly believe it? And I think we all have to ask this question. 
Because if we don't truly believe God loves us unconditionally, friends, we will always be striving, always be feeling like I'm not good enough, always con- be condemning ourselves. But God is our Father. And says through, you know, He had to heal from His past hurts. He had to reprogram His coping mechanisms, rewire the way He, he thinks by journaling and reflecting, by reading Scripture, memorizing Scripture, by praying, by reading books. He said, eventually I walked out of this darkness of depression, even though there's, he's still emotional high and lows like most of us. But he said, I walked out of this depression not simply because I had to fight depression, but because I focus on this idea that I am a child of God. And so we ask, you know, do we really believe that I'm a child of God? And if you do, then what does that mean? That God lavishes love on us. He is our Father. Now, how do we become children of God? There are many scriptures, but this is just a few. It says, those who receive Christ and believe in Him, we become children of God. 1 Peter says, we are born again. Okay, it's not just because we make a choice, we are very smart, we try to live moral lives, we try to improve our lives. Scripture tells us we must be born again, that God is already stirring in your hearts, the Spirit is already stirring in our hearts, and we make a response. It's both our choice and God's work. How does that work? You want to know? Stay back for a journey onward because we'll talk about it. Since we're adopted by God into His family, we become His children. We're co-heirs with Christ. Christ becomes our brother. We, we are inheritors of, God, of God's legacy. We will be disciplined if we go astray. You know, if you want to understand this concept of child of God, go back, Google children of God in the Bible. All the verses that come out just go and read them. Read them, understand the context, read them one at a time and let God's truth through the Holy Spirit grab hold of our hearts what it means to be a child of God. So who are we? Who am I? I'm a child of God. How do I know? Two marks of a child of God. Verse 4 onwards, it says, actually we see it's light and love. Live holy lives, love others. You notice it's actually in verse chapter 1 and chapter 2, right? Walk in the light, walk in. Love. So here he's sort of summarizing. You want to have this fullness of joy, hold on to identity as a child of God. How do you know? How are you assured? Well, live holy lives, love others. So it says, verse 4 everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You can say lawlessness is wickedness, but you say, hey, but we are not all wicked. That's true. Lawlessness, anomia, means our law. A bit like Artists, atheists, right? No, don't believe in God. This one, lawlessness is where we get this word antinomianism, which is, I want to be freed from any restrictions. No law. And when we look at it that way, you know, this describes our world today. Right? We want to be able to decide right and wrong for ourselves. We don't want to be restricted by any moral code. We get to decide. And also this reminds me of the Garden of Eden. Right? When Adam and Eve, they sinned, the serpent promised that you can be like gods. Well, what does that mean? It means I get to decide right and wrong for myself. Lawlessness. Outside of the law. Everyone who practices sin, practices lawlessness, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. In him, there's no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him and know him. The word abide, present tense, it means we are living habitually. It doesn't mean you don't sin at all. It doesn't mean 
sinless perfection. I think in verse 1, chapter 1, when I, I talked about it, I've really made this concept clear, right? Abiding means a lifestyle, habitually. You're not in habitual sin. If you are, and you think you're a Christian, Scripture says, you're a liar. But if I sin, then how? Again, Scripture says, confess, repent. So friends, we have to go back to the Word of God. You know, the Bible has everything we need for life and faith. You just need to understand God's Word and how it works in our lives. Verse 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. At the time, there were a lot of antichrists, people who preached something different. So John is saying, well, look at their lives. Are they truly righteous? From their lives, their choices, you can tell. And then he points out sin, the behind the actions is important. That is the devil. From the beginning, Satan has caused sin to be introduced into the world and Jesus came to destroy it. When Jesus was nailed on the cross, it was the devil's greatest triumph, he thought. But yet, it was Jesus' greatest triumph because through that, he destroyed the work of the devil. And we spent first half of the year looking at the greatest love story ever told, right? How God, from the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, he says that uh, the seed of the woman will come and save us. He will trample the head of the seed of the serpent, but his heel will be, will be uh, wounded. And we see this picture of Christ being developed, this Savior, and eventually Jesus came and He was nailed to the cross. But He came to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because His seed abides in Him and He cannot sin because He is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. The verb here, practices sin. In English, of course, the verb is practices. But in Greek, there's no practice. The verb is sin, sinning. So what I'm saying is that, again, reinforcing the point, whoever is born of God is not sinning. A habitual lifestyle, a direction. And then he summarizes, how do you know? Well, don't pra must practice or if you don't practice righteousness, you don't love, you're not of God. He's summarizing what he has said beforehand in chapter 1 and 2. You want to know your children of God, how do you have this assurance? Walk in the light, walk in love. When we walk in the light, it's not just for ourselves, we, we lead holy lives, but this light is meant to shine into the darkness, to shine into the lives of the people around us. Josh Elishman, he's the producer of Jesus' film. Once he was in India by the Ganges River, he was exhorting his co-workers to go and invite people to come and watch this uh, film the next day. And one of his co-workers, he said, you know, it's important for us to share this light. Last week, I was just here. And there was a couple crying. I asked them what happened. The wife was inconsolable. She couldn't answer me. The husband said, you know, we have been looking for peace in life. Finally, we asked our village priest how to have peace. And he said, you have to sacrifice your son to the gods by throwing him into the Ganges River. He said, we just threw our two-year-old son into the river. You know, this happened just like 20 years ago, okay? It's not the Ulu caveman time. You know, people had education, technology, and yet 
they believe in this. So the co-worker said, I shared Christ with them. I shared to them how they can find peace. Eventually, they accepted Christ. And when they left, you know what the couple said to him? They said, if only you were here 30 minutes earlier. We live in the light, not just for ourselves. The light is meant to shine in the darkness. Where there's light, there's no darkness. Our responsibility is to live like light. How? Practice righteousness. Love your brother. What is love? He goes on to say, well, those who does not love is not a child of God. And then he says, for this is the message which we have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Last week, the whole sermon was on this, right? So you understand what it means to love. It's not just an emotion. It is who God is. It is a choice we make. So he goes on to explain, don't be like Cain who was evil and slew his brother Abel. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Both brothers offered offerings to God. God accepted Abel's, not Cain. Cain got angry and he killed his brother Abel. No, God told Cain, right? Improve, offer in faith, I will accept. But how did Cain respond? He killed his brother. Let me ask you, did Abel do anything wrong? How did Abel offend Cain? Didn't, right? It's out of his own anger. And so when he says, don't be surprised that the world hates you, what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, when I was a teenager, one of my good friends became a Christian. So one day he was praying, giving thanks for his food. I saw a chicken wing on his plate and I took it away. When he lifted up his eyes, oh, your God ate up your chicken. No, why did I do that? Uh, firstly, he's my good friend. Okay, I don't go around bullying people. But why did I do that? Why was I offended? Oh, because now you think you're holy, lah, right? The thing you used to do, you don't want to do, you're holy. You think you're holier than me? That's what I was thinking, subconsciously. I was offended, not because he said anything offensive. A few years later, I became a Christian. Okay, after, right after army, I went to college and I accepted Christ. So I went out to hang out with my college buddies. We used to go pubbing, drinking, and I told them I don't want to do it anymore. Now, the Bible didn't say cannot drink, right? The Bible just said don't get drunk. So those of you who like to drink, uh, be assured. But you see, I didn't want to do it because I felt all my life with them, that's what I'm doing. And there's nothing good going clubbing and drinking. You're gyrate, always gyrating against somebody else, okay? So nothing good comes out, of it, comes out of it for me. So I said, hey, I don't want to drink. And you know what they say? Lee holy lah. You think you're holier than me now? Exactly how I felt years ago. Why? Did I do something wrong? No. Now, if people are offended by you because your EQ is low uh, and you say wrong things, that's your problem. Don't blame Jesus, okay? What he's saying here is, if you live righteously, people will be offended naturally because when there's light, there's no darkness. And so on the other hand, we have to ask ourselves, if, if I'm not really the word offending anybody, is there something wrong with me? Right? Again, I have to emphasize, it's not because your EQ is low, you did something wrong. Okay, because many people are like that. And then they say, God made me do it. Actually, it's not. Lah. It's yourself. But what is the context here? It's not merely living in the light that you offend people. It's living in love. Right? It's talking about love. How does that work out? When we are living in love. See, the entire Roman society is built on this one word benefaction, which means when I do something good, it's always because I can get something in return. 
The whole society is like this. Then suddenly, the Christians came along. They loved the outsiders. They loved the poor. They loved the slave. They loved those people who cannot give back to them. And so the whole culture was shocked. That is why the Romans, they tried to emulate the Christians when, I shared two weeks ago, right, or last week, when they tried to help the sick on the streets. Because back then, they don't have medicine, you know. You get sickness, you die, or you spread to your family. So they, they throw their loved ones out on the streets, especially during COVID time. The plagues, okay, not COVID. That's what happened. And the Christians came along, sacrificed their lives. And so Caesar passed a law. He says, oh, we must do the same thing. But he failed. Because he was doing it by the law, not by love. And so they were amazed. They whispered, Celsius said, that we whispered on the streets, just look at the Christians, how they love each other, not only their own, but ours too, meaning non-Christians. And from that, they were amazed to become, they persecuted them. Why? Because by their life, it's so anti-cultural, it's so different from us, it shows my flaws. I don't want to see my flaws, so I respond by persecuting. So the scripture says, it says, love one another, don't be like Cain, who hated his brother. If you love others and people, the world hate you, don't be surprised. That's what he's saying. Verse 14, we know that we pass out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who doesn't love abides in death. What does it mean? We contrast to the next verse, we know what it means. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life. Jesus says, murder is not just killing a person, it's in your heart because it begins in your heart. Love contrasts with hate. Death contrasts with eternal life. So it's saying that how do you know you have eternal life? How do you know you are a child of God? When you love others. Chapter 2 defines love as loving others, not loving the world. Because when we love the world, if you look at it closely, most of the time it's out of self-interest. When we love others, it's other-centered. So to love is really to be other-centered. And he says Christ demonstrated this. We know this. We understand this. We experience this because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for others. Does it mean I have to go and nail myself on the cross? No, it means lead other-centered life. And then he says, don't just say only you know. Do it by your choice, by your, by your actions. Whoever has the world's goods, means you have things, sees your brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Means by your, not by your words say that I love people, but you know when people are in need, we don't help them. And so we ask ourselves, is there somebody you have helped, you have cared for, you have given something? That is not in your family. That is not your friends or colleagues. They have no way of repaying you. You get nothing out of it. Have you ever done that? If you have never, you can't think of anybody, then maybe we have not truly loved one another as Scripture defines it. We have loved one another out of our own convenience. To love indeed and truth. I shared this story before, uh, I think during the, light, the, movie, the movie screening. Josh Stoneman, he shared uh, his, some, uh, something that happened during his uh, college exchange to Cambodia. He said the morning he was free, the weekend, so he went to explore the market. Okay, then he came and sat on the bench. He says, this young lady sat beside me. From her clothing and her belly, 
done makeup, I could suspect, I suspected that she was a prostitute. She had broken English, but I managed to understand she was called Annette. Then we talked about the market, about the culture, and finally I asked her, what job do you do? And she said, sex. I could see from her eyes that she was a little disappointed that she had to admit it. But she was also curious whether I was interested. So I assured her I just wanted to be a friend, not a customer. Later, I invited her to a restaurant in front of us to eat. When we stepped in, you know, the men and women in there, they looked at me, they looked at her, and then they have this look in their eyes. I could tell they seemed to understand. I could tell that Annette was not comfortable and asked her, have, has anybody ever invited you uh, here for lunch? And she shook her head. After we ordered, we talked, and I realized, I learned that she's 25 years old. Her mother died and left a seven-year-old sister for her to take care. Usually, she'll be working in the field. And when she's free, she'll come to town to sell her body. She said, I don't like what I do, but I have no choice. When the food came, she asked if she could set aside some of it for her sister. I said, no, I will buy you another set for her. I looked at her, her clothes that were a bit tattered and I asked, do you have enough to wear? She said, no. So I said, you want to go to the market to buy some? I remembered earlier that morning when I went there, there were a lot of clothes. Her eyes brightened and she smiled. And so after lunch, we went to the market. You know, in the morning when I was there, it was noisy. All the vendors called out to me, sir, sir, do you want to buy this? Do you want to buy this camera? Do you want to buy this shirt? But this time, it was a little different. They looked at us and turned away. Finally, I spent $32. I bought her some clothes, jeans, and a pair of new shoes for her sister. The more I talked to her, the more my heart broke. My heart broke because of the way people looked at her. My heart broke because of how she saw herself. My heart broke because of how they looked at us. Then it says, but I know that this woman isn't just a prostitute. She is an heir. I know that this precious woman is a princess and was worth the king of kings to die for her. I know she's worth more than just $20 for four hours and that she is treasured beyond belief. I know that she's valued and loved to an extent that I will only know in heaven. So he tried to witness to her, but he couldn't get across to her. So he said, at least I wanted her to know the name of Jesus. And the rest of it, I hope she can remember because of my life. When we love, friends, it's not just in, with tongues and words, but Scripture says, in our deeds, in our sincerity, truth. And that is what Jesus did, you know. Jesus didn't stay in heaven and say, oh, I love them. He abandoned His riches in heaven, came into His creation, became one of us so that He may die on the cross to lay down His life so that we understand, we experience this love. So again, I ask, you know, is there anybody in your life that you have loved with words, or with deeds and truth? Somebody who is outside of your immediate circle that you have no benefit, you can, the person cannot repay you, but you intentionally go out of your way to love them. And as I look out here, I can say that there are many of us. People who, you know, will go over to the old folks' home and 
push them over here for worship every Sunday. People who would visit the neighbours and bring food to them. They have shared their story with me. There are many of such stories, what we call char siu rice stories. Oh, what's that? If you want to know, attend Journey Onward later, we will talk about this. In August, you know, we have a few outreach events, Alpha, Face to Face, but this is a time to build up. Why would they come to Alpha? It's because of your life. This is time to start praying for those people around you to have, to love people with words, not just with words, but with deeds, with your life and your choices. And so how do we know you are a child of God? Through light and love. Finally, assurance of a child of God. This part I will skip over. Why? Because in chapter 5, he will actually review again. So, two weeks' time, I will talk about this. Basically, how do you know you're a child of God? That He forgives our sin, He hears our prayers, and He grants us His presence. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before Him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Sometimes we feel condemned we feel we're not good enough, we, we are not worthy. But he says, you may feel that in your heart, but turn to God and you'll be assured because God is greater than your heart. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If whatever we ask, we receive from Him because his, we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. God listens to our prayers when we align to His will. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given to us. How do we know God's presence is by the Spirit in us? And so, He's saying that, do you understand what a privilege it is to be a child of God? That we have this relationship with Him. He forgives our sins. We can talk to Him we can experience His presence with us. You know, I've always struggled with what it means to be a father. I never thought that I would be a good father. So before I had children, I was thinking, really, do I want to be a, to a parent? And what does it mean to be a father? Once I remember I was praying in one of our, C, our P3 and the, idea, the whole topic was on fatherhood of God. And I remember I was praying, asking God, God, what does it mean to have a father? You know? Uh, because, you know, I was raised by my grandmother and so my parents were not living with me. And suddenly as I was kneeling there, right here, right, praying, and God brought this scene to my mind. You know, when I was in secondary school, my dad would come and pick me up on his motorbike, zoom through traffic, through Orchard Road to bring me to tuition. Many times, because I'm very tired, I will just fall asleep. So I mastered the art of sleeping on a bike, you know, just kept him, kept me, grab him and just fall asleep. Sometimes when we start a traffic light, the pedestrians will signal him, you know, because I'll be ruling on him. And then he will just smile. So after when we reached home, he will tell me, you know, this is what. And so I was, it's interesting because as I was praying, this was a scene of all the things I've experienced. This was a scene God brought to my mind. Then maybe I feel like maybe I don't know my father well, but he loves me by his actions. Maybe God's love for me is like going through traffic, but being secured, you know, although it's on a motorbike, weaving through all the cars, but secured in the arms of God. That is what it means to be a child of God. And so, do we have this privilege to know that you are a child of God? If so, how do we live that out? If so, do you experience the freedom, the joy, the relationship with Him? That's the assurance we have that we can overcome the world, that we can have the fullness of joy. Let me end with what I shared in the pastor's voice, the story, right? 
The professor shared this quote. The Christianity, when it came to America, became an enterprise. And his student says, you know, the church is supposed to be the body of Christ. If a body becomes a business, it's a prostitute. And David Reiser said, no, that question changed my life. He began thinking about a question. Because, friends, all of us, we come to Jesus for something. We don't have to be ashamed. We want peace, healing, joy, wealth, all kinds of stuff. That's why we come to Jesus. But let us not remain there, right? Once you're a child of God, we grow. And we know our, our faith is not a transaction. Not because I, I want to be obedient so God will give me something. God, is, God will bless me. It's not a transaction. If it was a transaction, Jesus wouldn't have come. Because what can we give Him? But Jesus gave His life. And so we ask ourselves, you know, am I a true lover of God or a prostitute? Many times we fail. Many times I still want things from God. Many times I still feel disappointed. But most of all, what Riser said, I want to be a true lover of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I want to once again give thanks to you as we open your word. You say that, God, you loved us lavishly by the very fact that we can be called children of God. Lord, sometimes we don't understand what that means. We say we understand, but really, we do not believe it in a gut level. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you pour forth God's love abundantly into our hearts. They can be truly grasp this concept. And we, in our day-to-day life, strive to enjoy what it means to be your child. Friends, I give us some silent time to respond to God in prayer. And at an appropriate time, the worship team would lead us in response.